Hello, good afternoon. Uh, I'm going to talk, I'm Vakar Qureshi, I'm a professor of medicine, and I'm going to talk about anorectal health, uh, stuff that you've been itching to find out about, but just sit on, I guess. Uh, and we all are very uh, careful about our teeth and our mouth and whether our breath smells and we go to the dentists regularly, most of us but we don't really give a second thought about our rear ends, the other end, which is uh, just as deserving of your um, attention uh, and can make your life miserable if you are uh, ignoring it. So let's just go through some of the stuff that we see every day and fix in the clinic uh, from uh, that uh, makes people's lives miserable sometimes. So commonly seen anorectal disease that we see hemorrhoids, just about everybody I meet has hemorrhoids, anal fissures and itching, uh, which is very common. And I'm not gonna talk too much about uh, abscesses and dyssynergia, but we'll say a few things about disorders or defecation, time permitting. But uh, let's go through what the problems are. What contributes to anorectal disease? Well, the single most important problem is our diet and that we have inadequate fiber in our diet, which gives us hard to pass stool and constipation with straining. And this can cause lots of issues, including hemorrhoids and tears and itching and uh, misery like that. So, and we have a few learned habits that are not terribly healthy, like uh, not going to the bathroom when you get the urge. That's asking for trouble. So you don't have to go, don't ignore the urge to go. Uh, maybe right now you should probably ignore the urge if you're at work. Uh, but uh, as whenever you get the urge to go to the bathroom, you go to the bathroom because otherwise you are setting yourself up for trouble. Inflammatory bowel disease is mostly autoimmune and you don't have as much control over. And infections in the anal area can cause problems and even predispose to cancer. Uh, and so the symptoms that we complain about or experience are pain, itching, burning, bleeding, sometimes even prolapse. Uh, and while most of these conditions are benign, they're only symptoms. You still have to have a diagnosis to know how to deal with them. And it's important to exclude anal cancer, the incidence of which is on the increase. So increasing your fiber. Here is the problem. We need about 25 to 30 grams of fiber every day. And we actually get about 15 grams a day on average. So we're really getting half the fiber that we need, uh, thanks to fast food and the habits that we learn. And there are several problems here. Uh, there is a poor grasp of what is healthy. And to be honest, uh, if you look at this picture here, calories, it's not the calories, but the quality of the calories. So on the left, you've got your 1600 calories, a nice inviting cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory. 
And on the right, you have a balanced diet with the same amount of calories. And you'll agree that the foods on the right, well, you may not, but the foods on the right will actually keep you healthy and your colon functioning normally compared to the food on the left. And so very important to recognize foods that are high in fiber. And so uh, remember uh, to balance your meals, whether you like steak or go to an, or have a happy meal occasionally, make sure that your fibers, uh, your fiber intake is adequate per day. And so you can always add stuff like lentils, just a cup of lentils will give you a whole bunch of fiber. This is fiber per 100 grams of food. So uh, per 100 grams of strawberries will give you 3.8 grams of fiber. Artichoke, quite high. Black beans, 6.5 grams. And remember, you need about 30 grams a day. So it's quite easy to add this to your diet. Uh, almonds, 10 grams of fiber. Well, that's almost, that's a third of what you need in 24 hours of fiber. So you can throw any of these into your diet. Uh, popcorn is the highest, 13 grams of fiber. The only problem, of course, is that we put in loads of butter and salt and ruin it. So here is a guy with a 30 gram fiber diet. And this is a lady with a 20 gram fiber diet. And the poor, poor lady on the right is really creating this setup for hemorrhoids, itching, anal tears, and so on. So you don't wanna go there. As you can see, the guy on the right is quite happy because his day is passing smoothly. This is the Bristol stool chart. Now, this is a little uh, funnier because we've changed it a little bit, but it, what is in the middle row is true. This is how we figure out whether our patient is getting enough fiber. So if you're passing rat, uh, rabbit droppings, uh, I don't know if you can see my pointer, but uh, separate hard lumps that are like nuts and difficult to pass, you are constipated and you need to do something about this. This type two is a bunch of grapes, sausage-like but lumpy, it's hard, it sinks to the bottom. If your stool has enough fiber, it floats. So you need to be a floater, so to speak. Uh, this is corn on the cob, excellent description of this stool, which clearly is lacking in fiber. Uh, here's a smooth sausage, snake-like, uh, is better than the corn on the cob. And as you increase your fiber, you get to chicken nuggets appearance. And these generally float on the water. They pass easily and you uh, get up with a smile on your face. And if you overdo your fiber and maybe laxatives, you end up with porridge or gravy type stool, which perhaps is not, is quick, but not uh, terribly uh, healthy. So let's carry on here. So with all the research that people have done, this is what your stool should look like. I don't know how many of you are having lunch, but uh, just uh, keep the two apart. Uh, your stool should be soft and pie-like, and that's where you know you're having enough fiber. 
So this is my personal stool chart because I like chocolate. And uh, right at the top, you have M&Ms, uh, which is constipation. And as you come down, you get uh, better stool quality with rising uh, fiber. So we evolved to squat. So whenever we needed a bowel movement, we'd go behind a rock or something and squat and do our business. And that is how our body evolved to work. And when you are squatting, your colon, the end of your colon into the rectum is straight. So you don't need much force or exertion to pass stool out. Unfortunately, we sit on chair-like uh, devices where this angle is acute and you have to force your stool around an angle to go out into the toilet seat. And so people have been coming up with these so-called squatty potties, which is where you um, put your feet up on something. And you can, you have two, you know, a Gray's Anatomy and a, a Guyton Physiology book on top of each other. And you can put your feet on those and you're good to go without much effort. So it's really important to make sure that you're not excessively straining. And one of the reasons we get into trouble is we take a slow diet and we go sit on a, uh, on a commode that's not really designed to help us empty our bowels. And the other thing, don't take your phone into the toilet. You really shouldn't be sitting on the toilet more than five minutes. You take your phone in there, you're gonna be going through Facebook or whatever you like, TikTok, making TikToks on the toilet maybe. And uh, this is a funny cartoon, but it really goes to show that the longer you sit, the worse it is for your anorectum. So this is ideal. And in a lot of the world, this is where people go to move their bowels. They sit across a hole and they're squatting. So bowel movements are easy. And uh, you can mimic that by having your feet up on a stool, but not the stools that I worry about. So we have lots of these fancy modifications. Here's a bidet. Uh, they're warm or they come out in jets and give you a nice, clean, fresh feeling, but they're not addressing the issue, the issue of posture while you're moving your bowels uh, or, or enough fiber intake. So what about tips on increasing the fiber in your diet? I don't know if you can see this clearly, but you know, it's not very hard to modify your diet a little bit and get enough calories. So Split peas cooked, 16 grams. Well, well that's the half the um, fiber you need in a day. Lentils, 15 grams. Black beans, 15 grams. Uh, and, and you know, it's uh, very, it's not hard at all to make up the fiber that you need. And it puzzles me to see why uh, we can't seem to do this, uh, most of us. Um, so this is, I'm just going to flash this and not, but it, the anal rectum, it, this is the anal opening, and it's a very complicated, complex area that where this sling muscle has to relax for the stool to come through, 
these sphincter muscles have to relax in coordination of these. And there are conditions where when you sit down to strain, uh, this actually tightens up instead of relaxing and so stool cannot come out. And in that type of disorder, it doesn't matter how much laxative you give somebody, they're not gonna move their bowels properly. And you need to be able to make that distinction. And if you stick your finger into the rectum, preferably gloved, and you ask the patient to squeeze on your finger, you see this pushing against your finger. And if you ask them to uh, push down, bear down as if they're on the toilet, this should relax. And in some people, this will push against your finger. And you know that is an, what we call an outlet disorder, where muscles are not working the right way for you to have a bowel movement. Uh, and we have something called an enoscopy. This is uh, an anoscope looking into the anal canal. That's the only way to look in the anal canal. A, a colonoscope does not do that. And here we are, we are seeing one of the three hemorrhoids. This, this is a right posterior hemorrhoid. Uh, and we can band those. But you do this to make a diagnosis when you think there's something going on in the anal canal. And uh, this is what an anoscope looks like. I don't know if you can see me. Uh, it's plastic, it's disposable, and it lets you take a good look. You push it into the rectum, pull the trocar out, and you can look through and get a good look at the anal canal. And uh, my MAs are experts at doing this, but they let me do it. So let's talk about hemorrhoids a little bit. 50% of us have symptomatic hemorrhoids by the age of 50. Just imagine that 50% of all of us have some sort of symptom from hemorrhoids, whether it's itching or discomfort or bleeding. So 10 to 20 million of us have active hemorrhoid disease at any one time. And we spend a lot of money over the counter. Uh, the most commonly shoplifted item from a drugstore is preparation H. And that's because people don't want to necessarily talk about their business and they just swipe the preparation H tubes from Walgreens and so on. A, a, 120,000 hemorrhoidectomies are done every year in this country. And some of them may be unnecessary, but you know, uh, when your hemorrhoids are bothering you, you want something done. And it's uh, important to go to the right doctor so that you get the right, um, you're more likely to get a hemorrhoidectomy if you go to a surgeon. Uh, and, uh, but there are times hemorrhoidectomies are the only way to deal with hemorrhoids if you've been ignoring them for a while and they have gotten advanced. So hemorrhoids are just enlarged vascular cushions. And that's why they come back even when they're surgically removed if you're not careful and increase your fiber intake. Uh, hemorrhoids get worse with straining, constipation, prolonged lavatory sitting, as we talked about. Uh, also, pregnancy predisposes you to hemorrhoids. And so we tend to ignore uh, hemorrhoids in pregnant women because we know they will get back better after delivery and uh, they're just treated symptomatically. Ascites is a condition where you get a lot of fluid generated into the uh, abdomen in the setting of liver cirrhosis. And sometimes, frequently there's a family history, runs in the family. 
that's not diarrhea, I'm talking about uh, hemorrhoids. So just to give you a little bit of a, an idea about hemorrhoids, uh, hemorrhoids are, this is the anal opening and the skin goes up a little bit and then joins the intestine lining and we call this the dentate line. And so there's sensation below it because it's skin and there's no sensation up here. So you can tie or burn or cut hemorrhoids up here, but you can't touch those that are external, right? And then there's various degrees of hemorrhoids. And you know, if you just notice blood on your toilet paper, that's the grade one hemorrhoid. And those that uh, come out and then have to be pushed back in are grade three, and those that you cannot push in are grade four. And usually in our clinics, we can take care of grade one, two, and three. Uh, but most grade four hemorrhoids require surgery. So let's look at some of the other stuff we find. I know you'll enjoy this since you're in the middle of lunch. You have to look really carefully because you can miss small things. Here's an anal cancer. And if you're not looking carefully in bright light, you'll miss it. This is uh, condylomas and you have to be clearly wear gloves if you want to examine this patient and uh, you would send them to surgery to have all this removed. But looking carefully, you can miss them. So you have to be very careful. You could have a single condyloma and miss it entirely uh, when you examine the patient. Uh, these are what hemorrhoids look like. These are coming down from inside. And uh, here, this is a chronically thrombosed external hemorrhoid and people, uh, particularly young women want this gone. They just don't want it there. It uh, interferes with cleaning and doesn't look right. And, but if you did not do anything, this would become a skin tag and nothing to worry about, but it can be, certainly be removed. This, on the other hand, is an incarcerated hemorrhoid stuck. It can't go in or out uh, and uh, it needs to be removed uh, surgically. So how do you manage hemorrhoids? Well, if you have mild hemorrhoids, just more fluids and fiber will take care of it with stool softeners and Miralax. Uh, and if you keep your stool soft, limit your time on the commode, use some preparation H or steroid suppositories, the majority of times the hemorrhoids will settle down and go away uh, to the point where they're not symptomatic anymore. Uh, uh, but again, remembering limiting your time and getting your knees up towards your chest helps in uh, reducing the workload, the forces on your hemorrhoids and anal sphincter, because of course you can get a tear also from constipation. So we can do a few things in the office. Uh, these are done without anesthesia because they're painless for me. No, they're painless. Uh, one is rubber band ligation and the other is infrared coagulation, which is a very hot light. And I'll show you pictures of those. And we do these here at the uh, uh, Baylor Clinic. So a hemorrhoid banding just refers to tight encirclement of the hemorrhoidal complex uh, and the tissue falls off and you get a scar and the hemorrhoid shrinks. Uh, you have to be above the dentate line, otherwise your patient won't be happy. Uh, because the, below the dentate line is where the skin is and it's extremely sensitive. Uh, and we use devices that will suck the hemorrhoid into the tube. 
into a tube. This We use this syringe-like device where you suck the hemorrhoid in, push the overtube in, and it throws a, a band over the hemorrhoid. And so you go, you make sure this is the dentate line and you wanna be way up here where the star is so that the patient does not feel it. And I'm not gonna show you too much of this, but this is how it uh, works. You insert the tube and suction the hemorrhoid into the tube and then you are done. And the uh, hemorrhoid is banded and you take out and you're done. And it's painless. Uh, this is what it looks like when you put your band on, it gets rapidly ischemic and it sloughs off. And so you get an ulcer and a scar and the blood cannot flow down into the hemorrhoid and it shrinks. So pretty easy, painless, quick procedure. Uh, there are some potential uh, complications. They are very small, some discomfort uh, in five to 10%. And uh, very rarely you can get infections, but that's extremely rare. What about infrared coagulation? Patients look this up on the internet and they say, I want the laser uh, treatment. And it's actually uh, very easy to do, it's quick. It's just not as effective as banding. Uh, and again, it's painless and I'll take you through it. This is the device. There's a light in here and this tip gets extremely hot. And when you touch it to the hemorrhoid tissue, it blanches and then cauterizes uh, the supply, the blood supply to the hemorrhoids and they shrink. And uh, I have a small video of showing the light where it don't shine. This is IRC or infrared coagulation. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you saw that, but it, it coagulated the uh, hemorrhoid, and we do this in about four or five places and uh, so that blood cannot flow into the hemorrhoid and it shrinks. So uh, although rubber band ligation gives better results, patients on Plavix and other anticoagulants who cannot come off them for any length of time need IRC, infrared coagulant. Pregnant women, if you cannot talk them out of a procedure, uh, I would, because you know the hemorrhoid is gonna get better anyway. Uh, but if you have to do something, you use the infrared coagulation uh, because uh, banding can cause cramping sometime. And in pregnant women, we all panic when they cramp. Uh, and patient, young ladies with significant irritable bowel syndrome symptoms tend to be more sensitive and will get more discomfort with banding. And I prefer to go the infrared route. Okay, sometimes an external hemorrhoid will thrombose, which means that the blood in it will become a clot. And it, this is extremely painful. They cannot sit, they cannot walk. It happens, turns down immediately and uh, they want something done. And you have about 72 hours to fix this. And if you don't, then the clot starts to organize and you cannot drain it. So, uh, usually if they come within the 72 hours, you want to make a cut and let it drain out. Otherwise, you just have to treat them with painkillers and stool softeners and lidocaine ointment. Uh, and uh, then they just have to live through it if they've had it for five days or longer. This is my El Cheapo kit that I use for 
that I've made up are used for hemorrhoid drainage. And uh, I, I have lidocaine, needles, scalpel, uh, scissors, and syringe. That's all I need. If a patient shows up with extremely painful thrombos, external hemorrhoids, it only takes a minute to fix them. And uh, this is a video of a, this is a pregnant lady, extremely uncomfortable. So I'm injecting some lidocaine into the hemorrhoid. This is an external thrombosed hemorrhoid. She is very pain, uh, in a lot of discomfort, wanted something done. Now she cannot feel any of this because I've injected lidocaine into this. But uh, once the clot comes out, uh, they get instant relief. So just bear with me uh, while you're having your lunch. Um, there's the clot. And you don't want to leave it now because it will just clot close over and you'll get another clot there. So you have to try to remove the roof of it, which is easy. You just make sure it can't come together and close off. So there is me. My Emmy is a super camera woman too. All right, so you make sure that it's open gaping and it won't close again. And the patients can't believe that the pain is completely gone. So, all right, sometimes patients will come and say, well, I move my bowels and I get a sharp pain. That's usually a tear, usually from uh, straining with hard stool. And sometimes when you, uh, separate the buttocks, you can see the tear along the skin coming out of the anal opening. And this is extremely painful because it's a tear in the skin. And every time a uh, stool comes out, it tears a little more and hurts like hell. So, and so does a digital rectal exam. So if you put a rec your finger into the rectum, uh, they will scoot they will be very uncomfortable. They'll get a sharp pain and that's the diagnosis. You just stop there. There's nothing else to do except treat it. So an anal tear is in the anoderm, which is in the skin. And that is why it hurts like crazy. Usually in the posterior midline, easiest diagnosis to make in GI, you just stick your finger into the rectum, preferably gloved and press backwards and you'll, the patient will scream with pain and you know that you have a fissure and that is your diagnosis. Uh, and here I'm going to show you a, sometimes you can see them. So there's a fissure right there. And uh, let's move on. I think somebody's trying to sell me insurance. Okay, so anal fissures, you don't see them, but all you have to do is stick your finger in and the history will tell you, doctor, it hurts like a sharp pain every time I move my bowels. And you know they've got a fissure even before you examine them. And the treatment is fiber, you guessed it. And then we use something called diltiazem or nifedipine, which will relax the muscle. And what happens is that when you have a tear, the muscle goes into spasm and it cuts off its own blood supply. And so it won't heal. So when you put them on some muscle relaxant, uh, they will heal and they think you're wonderful. If, if that fails, you can inject Botox into, Botox has many uses. And so here you inject into the anal sphincter and it relaxes and lets the blood flow heal uh, the fissure. And if that doesn't happen, you can send them to surgery. Occasionally you get sphincters that won't, uh, tears that won't heal. And you, you want to make sure that you 
do look into all possibilities. And just as a, um, as a side, I'll show you, this is a patient who wasn't healing. And uh, he had a history of putting stuff into his rectum. And this is a aerosol can uh, that he managed to get in. But if you keep doing that, uh, then you're not gonna heal. Here is another gentleman with, I don't know why they're always gentlemen. Uh, this is a mango in his rectum, right? And it's still got the peel on, as you can see. So still edible. Anyway, I digress. So you need to just make sure that uh, if something is not healing or puzzling, you wanna make sure that uh, you know all the facts. Okay, pruritus ani is a fancy word for itching. Uh, when it itches like hell around your anal opening, causing you to not sleep. Look at this, this looks terrible. I almost feel like scratching this slide myself. And uh, they come to you wanting help. There are so many causes of itching in the anal opening. Uh, contact dermatitis from soap, perfumes in the soap, dye in toilet paper or hemorrhoid creams or wipes. And there's, there's something called polished anus syndrome. And uh, you, I know you wonder what the heck is that? Uh, you do, this is not something you get done at your shoe shine place. This is, there are some people that scrub and clean their anal opening so aggressively that they actually cause the problem. And it looks like, if, and, and they call it a polished anus syndrome because it looks very clean and shiny. And what they've done is they've rubbed off all the oils and stuff you need for health. Fungal infections, quite common, especially in diabetics. Uh, citrus fruits, grapes, tomatoes, spice, beer, milk, tea, chocolate, coffee, all the good stuff can cause exacerbation. Also, you know, hot spicy curries uh, and certain laxatives, mint, and antibiotics can also cause itching. Uh, to start off, you get them to wear clean, dry cotton underwear and loose pants. And balneol is a lotion you can buy off the, over the counter at Walmart for five bucks, works great. Otherwise you can use uh, ointments uh, that are antifungal. Uh, and you know, if you've gone through the checklist and nothing's working, sometimes they need a dermatology consult to see if this is some type of dermatitis or autoimmune phenomenon, and they can biopsy that area to see, uh, to make a diagnosis. Now, hemorrhoid, uh, hemorrhoids and fissures can also cause itching because they allow a little bit of stool seepage and that irritates the area. So let's just say a few words about disorders of defecation. Severe constipation that's not responding to laxatives. So you've tried all the prescription laxatives, they're just not getting better. Well, they probably have an outlet dysfunction. As we said earlier, that means when they sit on the toilet and uh, strain to move, their anal sphincters shut tightly. And this is, this is a bit of a learned behavior and you can unlearn it by something called uh, biologic um, feedback, behavioral feedback. Uh, fecal incontinence, we won't talk about. Uh, but um, uh, here, when you have somebody who you think has this rectal dysenergia, 
which is where they clamp down when they have, when they try to move their bowels. You do something called an anorectal manometry that measures those pressures and tells you exactly what the diagnosis is. And then you stop giving them laxatives and send them for biofeedback therapy, which works great. So anorectal manometry, uh, anorectal disease is precipitated in a large number of patients by inadequate diet uh, fiber uh, and poor eating choices. Uh, you in the office, we perform a good anorectal examination with endoscopy, digital rectal exam, uh, and inspect the surroundings to properly evaluate the patient. A good history will often give you the diagnosis. In-office treatment of hemorrhoids is safe and effective. And every Tuesday, in fact, in about 30 minutes, I will start banding my hemorrhoids. Well, not mine, but patient. Very few patients need surgical intervention. You don't always see anal fissures, but when you stick a finger into the rectum and your patient feels a lot of sharp pain, suddenly that is a fissure. Nothing else does that. Hemorrhoids don't hurt. So they're a nuisance, but they don't hurt unless they're acutely thrombosed, which is the one we showed you where we made a cut and had it drained. But if, 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 if they complain of pain, you're not looking for hemorrhoids. Disorders of defecation can contribute to hemorrhoids and fissure and pruritus. And you have to, uh, whenever you think there's a disorder of defecation or outlet disorder, you do an anorectal manometry. So tips on increasing the diet I want to leave you with. This is really important. All of any of these uh, easily uh, supplement what you eat every day and will put you into the normal fiber intake. And then you don't have to come see me. And uh, always screen for colon cancer in the appropriate setting. So you see, we, need, we leave nobody untouched uh, because colon cancer will kill you. And, but uh, anorectal disease, of course, is not lethal. That is the end. I will stop there. And uh, there's some further reading if you have trouble sleeping. And I will stop there and take any questions. Okay, a couple questions are coming through the chat. Uh, one is once you have an anal fissure or, and or hemorrhoids, are you more likely to have more? Yes, it's usually because of long-standing constipation or poor dietary habits that can do this. But if you have your fissure healed uh, and your hemorrhoids taken care of, and you pay attention to the amount of fiber uh, in your diet and not sit on the toilet for more than five minutes, it's unlikely that you will come back with those symptoms again. It's like heartburn, there's no cure, but you have to be careful what you eat. Yeah. Um, would you discuss any fiber uh, supplements that you believe are good? Yes. Okay, so there are two types of supplements out there. We call them soluble and insoluble. And uh, 
Metamucil is probably the best soluble fiber out there. Uh, it is uh, easy to take. You take a tablespoon, mix it in water and drink it and it tastes like uh, orange juice most of the time. And uh, it's a soluble fiber is psyllium. So psyllium is the probably the best soluble fiber. Uh, and you know, remember Metamucil is made out of plant materials. So we're not talking medications here. We're just talking about taking a, a salad and grinding it up into powder uh, and taking it as convenient for you. So uh, uh, Benifiber, uh, Metamucil, shouldn't be using trade names, but you know, Metamucil is just universal, it's everywhere. Uh, are the ones that are easily available and a, a good fiber supplement. Great. Are there any topical treatments you would recommend for hemorrhoids for symptom relief? Yes. Uh, the important thing is this. Try the topical treatments like preparation H or NU Sol cream. Uh, don't put steroids on unless they are for a short period of time because uh, repeated use of steroids will make your skin uh, thinner and more sensitive. And you can actually end up with pruritus and other things if you use too much in the way of steroids. So anusol and uh, preparation H, whether it's cream or suppositories. Suppositories are better for internal hemorrhoids, obviously. Uh, use them and with high fiber and lots of fluid, your symptoms will settle down. But if they don't, seek care early because it's much better and easier for you to have banding, which takes minutes, literally, in an office to fix your hemorrhoids than if you sit on them, pardon the pun, until a surgeon needs to go in and remove them. And you've created a, a much bigger uh, situation from what would have been a minor encounter with your doctor. Great. Um, can you discuss, this was discussed briefly, but um, the fecal urgency and what types of medical problems accompany with that? Well, urgency, there are several reasons you can have fecal urgency. One is if the rectum is inflamed for any reason, okay? So if you have, say, proctitis or ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease of the rectum, if the rectum is inflamed, rectum is supposed to be a store. That's where you, the stool gets to and sits until it's convenient for you to go to the bathroom. If it is inflamed, it does not tolerate stool and it, cannot, it won't stretch and it starts to have spasms. And then you, you find yourself running to the bathroom. So that's urgency. But urgency can also come with irritable bowel syndrome. You know, you have gas, bloating, constipation, or diarrhea. And in, in the diarrhea phase, because you can have both constipation and diarrhea alternating, or you can have just one type. Uh, but if you have the diarrhea phase, uh, you will get um, urgency just because your bowel is hypersensitive and having uh, spasms. Uh, so bowel spasm, particularly in the colon, will give you uh, urgency. I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah. 
Um, when is the recommended um, age or the recommendations for colon cancer screenings? Yeah. So this is a very important topic. And uh, colon cancer is being seen in younger people. And so the age at which screening is recommended is now 45. Uh, unless you have a family history of a first degree relative, that means your parents, your siblings, or your kids. If anybody has colon cancer in your first degree relatives when they are young, then you should be screened 10 years before their age of diagnosis. So if, you, if a, a sibling developed colon cancer at 40 years of age, you need to be screened at 30. So other, but the average uh, risk person, it's 45. Uh, it's the, it's uh, colon cancer is preventable. And that's the, the tragedy of it is that there is no cure for colon cancer. So once it's spread, it's over. So um, when you get a colonoscopy, one, we take out polyps that are precursors to cancer. Uh, so you reduce the risk significantly. Uh, and the second is that if you're unfortunate enough to have colon cancer, it's likely to be early because it's been caught at colonoscopy. And so you're not showing up after it's spread to the liver or somewhere else. Great. So if you're 45, give us a call. Operators are standing by. Um, back to the supplement questions. Um, are capsules okay to take specifically Metamucil or is there um, any benefit with the powder and water? There's always benefit with the powder and water because you're more likely to pop a capsule with a mouthful of water and think you've done your stuff. But unless you follow it with the required amount of water, uh, it's not going to work. So it, it can actually make constipation worse if you just take fiber uh, and it hardens up in the bowel. You have to mix it with an ad. So when you take Metamucil, you dissolve it in a large glass of water and you drink the whole thing. And uh, that's, what that's what gives your colon bulk uh, and produces a soft stool. So uh, in answer to the question, unless you're going to follow it with a significant amount of water, a large glass of water, don't take the capsules. That's good to know. Um, what information uh, do you have on diverticulitis? Okay. Diverticular disease, very important distinction that patients often confuse. Diverticulosis is the state of having diverticuli that are outpouchings in the colon. They're very common, just about more than half the people over the age of 60 will have diverticular disease, which is diverticulosis. And itis is when one of them gets infected. Sometimes those diverticuli can get infected and that's when you get sharp localized pain and fever and you know you have an infection and you don't really need a CAT scan to prove it. If your doctor feels your belly and has pinpoint 
tenderness with fever and a white count. Usually the tenderness is on the left side because that's where all the diverticuli tend to happen. Uh, the, it can be treated easily with antibiotics. Ignoring it and letting it get worse can make you sick because it can cause an abscess and then you have to have uh, tubes stuck in the abscess or surgery. Uh, but usually diverticulitis uh, is not common. Diverticular disease is very common. But when you have diverticulitis, uh, its treatment is antibiotics. Uh, and um, if you have diverticular disease, the best thing to do is make sure you don't get constipated and you're getting enough fiber. That way you're less likely to run into complications. Great. Um, how many times can the banding procedure be safely performed? Um, most people, oh, you, well, you can do it as often as you want, but most people that come back do so uh, about five years after the initial banding. And uh, when you get surgery, it's, it's usually about eight to 10 years. Uh, that hemorrhoids, if they're going to come back, they will come back. But there is no uh, restriction to how often you can band. And I have patients who come back every three to five years, and, and they would prefer that. And, and they're okay with that. But uh, no, as long as there is something to see, i.e. the hemorrhoids are coming back, you can go band them again. Okay, great. Um, we have a question uh, regarding Miralax. I'm not exactly sure. Yes, yeah. Miralax, very useful. Sorry, what was the question? Uh, no, it, just uh, to talk about it. So. Yeah. Miralax <laughs> is the same chemical that we use before a colonoscopy. You drink it, uh, except we make you drink uh, a little more. We make you drink almost half a gallon and it goes right through uh, and cleans up your colon. But over the counter, Miralax comes uh, in a, a, a glassful dose so that if you drink Miralax for constipation, you will have a soft stool the next day. And uh, if you have severe constipation, you can drink three or four or five glasses. It won't make, it's just, uh, it doesn't get absorbed or um, uh, it doesn't do anything to your body uh, electrolytes. It just goes straight through your system. So you can take, drink as much Miralax. Some people drink uh, a, a cup every day, but I would argue that um, daily Metamucil is more beneficial than daily um, Miralax if you are having chronic constipation because the dietary fiber has other benefits than just trying to get stool out of the colon. So I would use Metamucil first. If that doesn't work, I would add Metamucil, uh, Miralax, not, not substitute it. So it's a very useful medication, but um, the important thing, since a lot of us tend to be constipated, is that you need to train your bowel to work. And that's called a bowel regimen. You get up in the morning, have your coffee, 
sit on the toilet for five minutes. If nothing happens, that's fine. But you keep doing that in addition to starting your Metamucil and or Miralax. And you tell yourself that if you don't go by day three, you're going to give yourself an enema to make sure you go. And if you do that for a few weeks, you will just start to go every day. So that's how you train your bowel to work. Great. Um, I think we have time for just a couple more questions. Um, why is there a difference in volumes of colonoscopy prep? So um, what you choose yeah. to drink. So, you know, when we started, we had the one gallon go lightly. It was terrible to drink and I've drunk that. Uh, and then it uh, came down to half the volume. And, you know, a lot of this is over time, studies have been done to find what produces the best results. And so now we have uh, two large cups that you drink of the medication itself, which is the same as Miralax, but it's, a, it's called a split prep. A split prep produces a better clean than drinking all of it at once. So, uh, and this, the second dose cleans the right side of the colon better, which is where uh, a lot of the precancerous polyps develop. And so most cancers now, so there's a move of where we find cancers towards the right side. And whenever a cancer is missed, it's usually on the right side because they tend to be flat and difficult to see. So, the quality of your colonoscopy is only as good as the prep. Uh, so that's why it's so important to follow the instructions to the T. And uh, so what we have found is that the new half gallon preps, which are two large cups basically, that you drink about six hours apart, produce the best results. The cleanest colon so that we don't miss anything when we're scoping. Uh, and now uh, they've come out with some tablets. Uh, I don't like the tablets just because they are 24 horse pills to swallow. And some people like that, which is not a problem. The problem is that if you don't follow that with the required amount of fluid, which can be anything, water, Gatorade, whatever you like to drink, uh, then they will not work as well. So I still think that the split prep half gallon, uh, half gallon, which is further split into two halves. So it's not a lot of volume. I've drunk it several times. I don't do that for fun, but just for colonoscopy. It's very doable. You freeze it so that it's more likely to give you a, um, you know, a brain freeze, <laughs> but you don't taste it uh, when it's cold. And I've never had a problem except you know, making sure you're close to the bathroom. Did that answer your question? We're getting better with the preps all the time. Yes. But we want to make sure that the preps, there were some that were withdrawn because they were causing kidney damage, for instance. So uh, it's every, with time, we are getting to a better prep every time there's more research. That's great. We have uh, time for one more question. Uh, and this is about medication-induced constipation. Uh, what does fiber overcome this or is there a better suggestion? Yes. 
So it depends on what medicines or what medical conditions. Uh, so, you know, the medical conditions like stroke, Parkinson's, they all slow down your colon or, or a lazy thyroid gland, a, a hypothyroidism. That, that will all slow down. But then there are drugs that can cause constipation. Like if you're chewing Tums all the time, well, the calcium is going to make you constipated. If you are uh, taking narcotics, that will make you constipated. So uh, depending on what it is, uh, like there are now uh, laxatives that are specifically designed to block the effect of narcotics on the colon. And uh, so they would be better to use than just uh, Miralax or um, Metamucil. But again, with all constipation, you start with over-the-counter stuff. Uh, and if that doesn't work, then you do a graded response to, to the next drug. So we now have prescription drugs that secrete water into the colon, okay? The drugs like Linzess. And uh, so, um, all medications work. Uh, the prescription medicines are highly effective now. So if over-the-counter doesn't work, we will make you go. It's just a matter of uh, not going, not trying to use a sledgehammer to uh, deal with a problem, but go graded upwards so that you're not uh, wasting resources or overdoing it and giving people diarrhea and so on. So, uh, so in answer to your question, there are different laxatives for different situations, but we almost always start with over-the-counter stuff followed by prescription medication. Great. Well, thank you so much. This was such a wonderful talk. Um, and uh, based on the chat and also my personal opinion, uh, you have a great sense of humor about um, this important topic. So uh, thank you so Great. much. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Okay. I Bye. hope everyone has a great day. This uh, talk has been recorded, so it will be on our um, internet page in the upcoming weeks. So please check there to see this recording. Otherwise, thank you so much. Thank you.